Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome, Duval, to another episode of the Gen Jag Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DeLugo, and I'm joined by UCF Jaguar, a.k.a. Dalton D. What's going on, Dalton? Not much, man. Just going through the dog days of nothing going on. But, you know, of course, while people say that there's never anything to talk about, there's always some stuff to talk about. So that's why we're here today. Absolutely. I mean, what would uh, July be without some Gen Jag podcast? And uh, if you missed our latest episode which was the first episode featuring myself and UCF Jaguar, then you missed on some big news, which of course is that moving forward, it'll be UCF Jaguar, a.k.a. Dalton, hosting the show. And uh, we've got some fun topics to get into today. Of course, you can follow Dalton or UCF Jaguar at UCF underscore Jaguar on Twitter. Check out his YouTube channel for some of the latest Jaguars videos he's got coming out. And, uh, of course, thanks for tuning in. Now, Dalton, before we get going, I just remembered that uh, you came up with a little bit of a new uh, look to your YouTube channel. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm looking around just trying to see ways to improve the channel. And I've always been a big fan of this YouTuber named That's That's Good Sports, and he has a pretty cool setup on his thing, so... I thought I'd break out the green screen and just try to find new ways to always improve the channel. You know, I feel like I do a pretty good job of, you know, actually relaying my thoughts about the Jaguars. But a big part of YouTube is just being presentable and having good editing and visual quality being good. So uh, that's I kind of messing around with it. Of course, I'll always first really video with a green screen. So I'm, I'm still going to improve. But it was, it was pretty fun breaking it out. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You got downtown Jacksonville in the background there, and uh, you got a little TV, retro TV there on the side of you with some images of uh, whatever topics you may be touching on. So that's pretty cool. Cool video. Make sure to check that out on YouTube. People can follow you on or subscribe to you on YouTube, and it's just at UCF Jaguar, right? Uh, yeah, YouTube or Instagram, Twitter at UCF underscore Jaguar, then YouTube's just UCF space Jaguar. Right. That's what I thought. Okay, great. So yeah, make sure to follow him. You can follow myself at Jordan DeLugo. And of course, go follow our sponsors, Bold City Brewery. You can find them online at boldcitybrewery.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. And check out their tap rooms in Riverside on Roselle and downtown on East Bay Street. Big shout out to Kevin and everybody over at Bold City. So we've got some news and notes to get into. Obviously, we said it's been very light on the news and notes fronts for the Jaguars. There has been some interesting stuff going on in the world of sports, though, in the last week or two. Uh, we had the whole NBA free agent frenzy, and we had Team USA women's soccer taking home the World Cup again over there in France. That was pretty awesome. So uh, there has been some exciting stuff. Were you keeping up with any of that, Dalton? Yeah, I was. I was kind of interested in NBA free agency. It's always funny with me because I, I, I'm not necessarily big into actually watching basketball, but I'm always interested in knowing what's going on around the NBA. And I think the my lack of interest in the NBA in the last several seasons has been a couple of things. First of all, the Magic haven't really been. Uh, competitive, and that's my team. Of course, I watch every single playoff game of theirs, but uh, you know they—they're the ones that are keep me interested. And just the fact that I didn't like the whole Cavs Warriors every single year thing, and then 
Um, you know, I'm also a LeBron fan, so he wasn't really in the playoffs. But man, this this free agency, I mean, you've got both the L.A. teams look to be really competitive. You know, Brooklyn, we'll see if Kevin Durant is going to come back, but they should be pretty competitive. And I, I'm honestly pretty excited about uh, this NBA season. Like, I think it's going to be a really competitive playoffs. Yeah, um, I'm a huge Magic fan, too, if you guys didn't know that. So I'm pretty, pretty pleased with what's going on. Obviously, a lot of their success is going to depend on the development of players like Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon, Markel Fultz, Mo Bamba. But yeah, they brought back Terrence Ross and uh, Nikola Vucevic, brought in Al Farouk Aminu, so I'm pretty pumped. But uh, we don't want to talk too much about other sports, lose our listeners here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just another quick shout out to Team USA, Alex Morgan, twerking all over the locker room, having a good time after that victory. I'm all about it. I love that team. Yeah, I love I'm I'm honestly a big soccer fan. I mean, honestly, uh, I don't keep up with a lot of things outside of really football. Like I'm not really consistent watcher, but I would say probably my second favorite sport to watch is soccer. I think I think it's extremely uh, I love just watching the passing that they do and just the vision that they have. And, uh, you know, the, the, of course, you're going to see the score and it's going to be 2-1. It's not all that exciting, but just seeing that there's, multi, there's all these different chances that they have when they shoot it and uh, just seeing when they actually capitalize, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, when teams play with a clear sense of purpose, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, we and, got uh, robbed last you know year when Team U- when U.S. wasn't in the World Cup, but... You know, we'll be back. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the men can get get it back together. And they played pretty well over there in the Gold Cup as well over the last couple of weeks. So I think we have an exciting. automatic bid next year because it's going to be actually in the U.S., right? I'm actually not too sure on that. A couple football guys talking uh, European football. Yeah, you guys, so you guys listening, you're going to have to let us know. Yeah, yeah, let us know in the uh, comments or uh, on Twitter or whatever. So, yeah. Now, getting into some Jaguars stuff, if you're not familiar with what's going on in Lot J, we'll fill you in a little bit. Jaguars and the city of Jacksonville are verbally close to an agreement on the Lot J development. This according to Mayor Lenny Curry. Shad Khan's development company, Iguana Investments Florida, plans to develop Lot J with a live arena, a 300-unit residential tower, a hotel, and an office building. Um if you've ever been to Kansas City, uh, to their live arena, to the Power and Light District, you'll kind of know what what all that's a, about down there. Uh, what what Jacksonville might look look like down in Lot J if you've ever been over there. But yeah, Con and Company are expected to present a comprehensive plan on what J, Lot J will look like by the end of summer. If all goes according to plan, the construction will begin immediately following the Jaguars' 2019 season, and the city will also likely begin tearing down the portion of the Hartbridge Expressway that divides the sports complex and the shipyards right around the same time. So that's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, obviously parking might be a little bit more difficult. They're going to have to work on building some more parking uh, garages or parking lots around there, but having Lot J be more of an entertainment venue than just what it is currently a parking lot can only help downtown Jacksonville. Yeah. I mean, downtown Jacksonville definitely needs some life. I mean, after the game, there's, uh, there's not a whole lot of places you can actually go. And then, um, of course, before the game, there's all these different like pre, you know, tailgates and stuff like that. But it's, it's something just to bring people down to Jacksonville other than, uh, you know, sporting events, and different, you know, Daly's Place has done a great job of actually getting concerts and stuff like that for people to come in town. But, um, you know, one one thing that separates Jacksonville from a lot of other places is that uh, in Jacksonville, there's really not a whole lot of options outside of the stadium to do after games. Yeah, and they're clearly working to uh, to fix that issue. And it'll be a lot of fun to see where that goes over the next couple of years. Now, the only real other note we have here is another list. You know, this time of year is filled with lists put out by different analysts and writers. Uh, This one is by former Jaguar, Bucky Brooks, who's now an NFL Network analyst. He recently released a list of five teams, excuse me, that are sleepers to contend for the title in 2019 after missing the playoffs last year. Among those teams were the Falcons, Packers, Vikings, Steelers, 
and of course, your Jacksonville Jaguars. Here's what Bucky had to say about the Jags. After failing to live up to the hype a season ago, the Jaguars have become an afterthought for many observers. I feel like the lack of buzz is an overreaction to the team's dismal 2018 campaign. Why? Well, the defense remains a potential top five unit with Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, and Unique Ngakwe positioned as core members of the group. Despite the absence of Telvin Smith, who said he won't play in 2019, and the release of Malik Jackson, the defense is more than capable of stuffing every opponent on the schedule. Nick Foles' insertion of the starting lineup at quarterback one should provide the offense with more consistency and stability at the game's most important position. Additionally, Foles' easygoing leadership style and winning pedigree should play well in the locker room and help the Jaguars get back on track as a title contender. If Leonard Fournette plays up to his potential as a workhorse back, the Jaguars could reprise their role as the bully on the block in the AFC. Man, that would be just very, very sweet if all those things come to fruition for the Jaguars fans and uh, all the people in Jacksonville. What do you think about what Bucky had to say? I mean, I'd have to agree with him. I mean, the Jaguars' best-case scenario is a really good scenario. You know, you have Nick Foles playing at a very good level. I mean, the kind of level that we've seen him play in the playoffs. Uh, You have a team that actually stays healthy. Your defense still stays there. Uh, Leonard Fournette can be the top-five pick that he is, that he was when we drafted him in 2017. And, I mean, this this Jaguar team, it's, it's exciting. You know, and I try to keep my optimism down a little bit just because as we know like the Jaguars let us down so often and uh, it's we've seen so many double digit lost seasons but man like if you're I would love to look at this team from a fan of another team and kind of see uh, where I project these guys but man I mean hearing Bucky say that it's really exciting and uh, I think a lot of Jaguar fans know what the what this team could be potentially capable of and uh, we saw a lot of a lot of things firing all cylinders everything go good for us in 2017 except the only thing that was really holding us back was the quarterback. Now we got a better quarterback in there, and we can we can all pretty much bank on Nick Foles being at least better than Blake Bortles because I know I was reading, I saw an article today, I, th- I forget who dropped it, but they say, are the Jaguars expecting too much out of Nick Foles? I don't think the Jaguar fans really expecting too much Nick Foles at all. Like I think the only level Jaguar fans are really saying Nick Foles is they just they're just wanting him to play better than Bortles and it's not going to be that hard and um I think I think if he goes out there and plays really well I think he's gonna really surprise a lot of people because I don't think I don't think Nick Foles is really being hyped up a lot at all I'll be honest with you amongst Jaguar fans so um I'm excited about this um I just want this season to kick off so we can actually uh you know see what's going down yeah, I kind of agree with you there regarding people's expectations for Foles. They do expect more of him than Blake Bortles, but that's not an unreasonable expectation. And people still know that the defense around here is going to be the calling card if this team is going to get back to where they want to be, which is competing for a Super Bowl in 2019. And I think one thing he said was really important there, uh, and that is the consistency and stability of Nick Foles. He is not nearly as erratic in terms of drive to drive, down to down, quarter to quarter as Blake Bortles has been in the past where, you know, at times Blake Bortles couldn't complete a pass for entire quarters or halves seemingly. Nick Foles isn't going to have that same issue. Yeah, and I think Nick Foles, one one thing that I think he's going to bring this season that he hasn't really brought into a lot of other seasons is just a lot of confidence. I mean, he this is really the first time where he's been actually given the keys to a team and to actually take them, you know, to different places. You know, I think a lot of his career he's just been he, – I mean, he's moved around. You know, he was drafted to Philadelphia. He had a season where he went, you know, through 27 touchdowns and two interceptions, and the the team still wasn't fully committed to him. They wound up trading him away to – uh, to the St. Louis Rams for what they perceived as an upgrade at quarterback when they traded for Sam Bradford because they gave up a uh, first-round pick and Nick Foles for Sam Bradford. And then, um, of course, he gets Jeff Fisher. He goes over to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and plays a backup there, then goes back to the Eagles. Jeff Fisher as a, as a verb? He got Jeff Fisher? He got Jeff Fisher. Uh, he, like Jeff Fisher's a quarterback killer, man. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yep. he goes he goes over there. Then 
you know, like I said, he gets Jeff Fisher. He goes back to Kansas City, back up there, then to the Eagles, obviously. We all know what happened to him at the Eagles. Uh, so, I mean, really, this is the opportunity where he says, okay, you know, he's comfortable, confident. Um, he's already gaining a lot of the um, – a lot of the respect and a lot of the team is rallying around him. And that's one thing I saw during OTAs. That was really cool. Like, you know, we see DD Westbrook posting up pictures with, you know, Nick Foles' arm around him. Um, you see Terrell Pryor posting pics. Obviously, we know Chris Conley and him have a good connection. So, I mean, he's doing everything right right now uh, when it comes to being a leader and being a good teammate. It's just, you know, we're really going to know once one o'clock hits on these Sundays coming up about what we're really going to get out of him. Yeah, week one, Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to be a hell of a matchup. The revenge it's be really exciting. It's a Nick it's Foles revenge tour, baby. That's right. <laughs> it's going to be really important for the men that we are about to talk about in our next segment here. But before we get to that, uh, shameless plug here. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. And if you really, really love the program, you can leave us a review on iTunes as well. It really helps us out in terms of uh, finding new listeners and just spreading the good word. So um, as I mentioned before, we were going to talk about some gentlemen that that opening week will be very important for uh, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, and Tom Coughlin. We're going to discuss these these three, uh, the football triumvirate of the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you will, Doug Marone being the head coach, Dave Caldwell being the general manager, and Tom Coughlin being the executive vice president, the football czar. So I'll run through a little bit of uh, what these men have accomplished in Jacksonville since they've been here, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about if they're on the hot seat and what they need to do to keep their jobs in 2019, well, after 2019. So, Doug Marone, we'll start off with the head coach. He's 18-19 and as the Jaguars' head coach, including the playoffs, and that's through two seasons. After a dominating defensive season in 2017 that was aided by a usually elite rushing attack and an at-times surprisingly efficient Blake Bortles, the Jaguars were within minutes of reaching their first Super Bowl. Miles Jack wasn't down. It all fell apart after that in 2018 as Blake Bortles crumbled behind a depleted offensive line and the defense struggled to make the same big plays that they did just the season prior. Um, So obviously Marone has had one really successful season and one really disappointing season in Jacksonville. Uh, Dave Caldwell, his record as the Jags GM, not quite as favorable, 30 and 66. Now, he was obviously tasked with a major rebuild as he took over in 2013 and didn't actually see any on-field success until his fifth year with the team, which was 2017. He has laid a foundation of talent currently for this roster, but some of Caldwell's biggest blunders have come in the first and most important round of the NFL draft, missing on his franchise left tackle in 2013 with Luke Jokel, franchise quarterback the next season in Blake Bortles, and franchise pass rusher the next season, and Dante Fowler. Now, last but not least, Tom Coughlin. He's well-known as a disciplinarian, but during his time as executive vice president of football operations for the Jaguars, uh, the Jags have been far from what you would expect in terms of discipline. He, like Marone, has 18 wins and 19 losses during his current stint with the team. His old-school style really gels well with the head coach, But is it a fit for the modern-day NFL? That's a question we've been asking quite a lot lately. So, Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, are any of them on the hot seat heading into 2019, Dalton? I'll be honest with you. The only guy who I think is completely safe is Tom Coughlin. Like, I think in a situation where if the Jaguars, in a worst-case scenario, they go 4-12, and I think that Shad Khan hands his keys over to Tom Coughlin and say, okay, it's your time. You decide, does Doug Marone stay? Does Dave Caldwell stay? Um, what are you going to do about this? So I really think that Tom Coughlin is the only guy that's safe, and he's going to be ultimately uh, deciding whether or not Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell are going to stay. Um, one, one thing about the Jaguars is that uh, really what we learned about Shad Khan is he's a guy that doesn't like to fire guys too early. Um, he probably let Gus Bradley hang around a year too long. Uh, obviously, Dave Caldwell is the only GM that 
he's really ever had. I mean, of, of course, besides the Mike Mularkey stuff, the year he that happened. But, you know, when they start off in a clean slate in 2013, uh, you know, Dave Caldwell has been the GM ever since while they've had two head coaches. So, but you would think that, hey, if, if Doug Marone's going to get the axe, I mean, you would think Dave Caldwell goes right with them because then all of a sudden Dave Caldwell would be on his third NFL head coach. And usually GMs only get two head coaches. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really think that Tom Coughlin is the only one safe and Doug Marone and uh, Dave Caldwell are the only ones that are potentially on the hot seat. How about yourself? Well, I want to know what your reasoning is for thinking Tom Coughlin is safe. Because I think that Shad Khan has so much respect and admiration for Tom Coughlin, where I think that Shad Khan would feel much more comfortable with a guy like him leading up a search for a new head coach and GM than I think Shad Khan would feel himself would be. That's understandable, certainly. I I disagree. Uh, I quite frankly think it's playoffs or bust for the entire group. Um, I think they've got to reach the playoffs this year. Yes, Dave Caldwell has made some solid moves in recent seasons, but he and Coughlin's decision to bring back Blake Bortles, I think, was an obvious blunder that backfired in a huge way in 2018. Uh, I think Doug Marone has been a pleasure in press conferences and around the city since arriving in Jacksonville, but his goodwill, I think, will run out if the team can't find its way back to the playoffs after acquiring a franchise-lifting quarterback earlier in 2019. And you did mention that that uh, Shad Khan likes to hold on to guys maybe a little bit too long. I think... And from the NFL perspective, that has been true. But I also think that he might be ready to no longer do that. He's been the Jaguars owner for um, seven seven years now. And I think that if, if the results aren't there, he knows what he needs to do to go out and, um, and find people that, that can get the right results. And he's shown that as an owner of a English Premier League team, Fulham, for several years now. He's not afraid to make uh, harsh decisions. It would be a stray from the norm, I suppose, in terms of his NFL decision-making in the past. But I just think if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it's time for a full rebuild of the front office and coaching staff, which would obviously be very unfortunate for John Filippo, who just got here this year. But I just think that uh, Shad Khan knows this team has the talent to win, and if they don't go get it done, it's on these guys. So you think that if the Jaguars go 8-8 eight and eight potentially, that everybody's gone? Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone, and Dave Caldwell? Yes. Yeah, see, I'll, I don't, I'll, like like I said, I think I think if they go 8-8, eight and eight, like, like if they go 8-8, eight and eight, I think Tom Coughlin makes the decisions, and I think... Um, it's it's just really interesting. Like I always, one thing that I've always wondered is just what the relationship is like between Dave Caldwell and Tom Coughlin. I mean, it's probably not something I will ever know unless eight years down the line, Tom Coughlin or, or Dave Caldwell wants to get on local radio and pull Jack Del Rio and kind of unmask the the enemy like he did. But um, I, it'd be interesting. I hope it's not a situation. I hope this doesn't play out. To where we have to revisit this and say, "Oh, look what I thought! Look what you thought!" When instead we're going to be, you know, wearing our Super Bowl champion shirts. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I know if we miss the playoffs, I would definitely want some changes because um, I, I really didn't think we did enough of it this off season. Like I honestly, I wasn't a guy that really wanted to keep around Todd Wash. Um, they kept him around. They kept a good amount of the coaching staff around, and um, I just think that. I just think that didn't they didn't hold enough people accountable for this season, and um, you know they didn't hold Blake Bortles accountable ever until it got really bad. So um, I hope it's not a situation where we do see this play out, but uh, it will it would be interesting to see if they do go eight and eight, what actually happens. Yeah, and I do think that's a legitimate possibility. Uh, I'm not going to bury my lead on who I'm or what I'm going to project their record to be, because we can talk about that in a later episode. But I do think a and is a legitimate possibility. And I, I'm, I'll put it on the record right now. I think if they're 8-8 eight and eight, or even 9-7 and seven, and don't make the playoffs, that the football triumvirate will no longer be intact and that there will be a new boss in town. 
I think three years, uh, that's what Tom Coughlin would have had to kind of um, move this team in the right direction. And with this talent base, if he can't guide this team to more success than only one playoff appearance in three seasons, I think it's time to go. And I think Shad Khan will make the, the harsh decision there. But hopefully, like you said, we won't have to deal with any of that. But what if now, it's a situation where the team is 8-8, eight and eight, but it's much like last year where they're getting injured like crazy. The whole offensive line gets injured, all the tight ends, the running backs. Like If it's a similar situation like that, of course, the you know main variable would be a better quarterback. But do, do you think that they'll get any kind of pass, or uh, how do you think that will okay. be handled? I think that's a fair question. I think that if the team legitimately does suffer the same level of injuries that they did in 2018, then yes, there will be a pass. I do. And of course that would be a built-in excuse and it would be, you know, more sunshine and rainbows heading into 2020. Well, we just need to stay healthy this year, but um, hopefully that won't happen. And it rarely does happen where a team suffers that many injuries two consecutive years. And it really is just the whole firing thing. It's so circumstantial. Like you never know what's going to go into different things, like how many games they uh, lose by less than three points or what the injury situation is. I mean, you never you never really know any of this. But, I mean, wouldn't 8-8 eight and eight just be such a weird year? I mean, we're so used to either either we go to the playoffs, win some playoff games, or we have double-digit losses. <laughs> it would yeah, just... we're rarely right in the middle of the road like that. It's usually really disappointing or really exciting around here. Yeah, most of the time disappointing, unfortunately, for <laughs> for our, uh, you know, uh, for us guys in the 20s, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But it is what it is in Jacksonville for sure. Now we're going to move on to a fun segment. And I don't necessarily think that every player we're going to talk about here really, really falls into this category. But it's fun activity to look at where the team might be heading into 2020 with some of their roster decisions here. So we're going to talk about three starters who potentially won't be on the team in 2020. And each of us has come up with a different list of three starters here that we don't think will be on the team in 2020 or has a chance to not be on the team in 2020. I will go ahead and kick us off here just because I'm excited to get my first guy out there and because I legitimately do believe that this player will not be on the roster come 2020. And that is Marquise Lee. Now, some people probably don't project him as a starter just because of his injury coming back from the big knee injury that he suffered last year. But I think all things being equal, when Marquise Lee is healthy, that he would be considered one of the the three starters at wide receiver this year. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I I would agree. He's uh, was on my list of candidates for this. And I mean, Marquise Lee, uh, you're saving about five point two million dollars if you're going to cut him next year, and you know they, it was it was just a weird signing to me. I mean, when they re-signed him, I mean you had Alan Robinson, uh, you had Alan Hearns, and those were really the two had a duo. Then you kind of signed the you know the third guy with Marquise Lee. Of course, Marquise Lee was drafted the highest out of all of them, but um, I mean he's just I mean to me Marquise Lee is just an average receiver. Uh, he I mean he's an average receiver to me, and of course he's had his. Um, issues with staying healthy but I mean I'd agree with you on Marquise Lee yeah and so my reasoning like you said that 5.25 million in cap savings will do a lot to help out with signing guys like Miles Jack and potentially Unique Ngakwe excuse me but also after this season Marquise Lee will be I believe 28 years old but there's a bevy of younger, I believe, more talented receivers on the roster that the Jaguars are going to want to make room for in terms of playing time and in terms of being able to get them on the field with D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark, Chris Conley, and also Keelan Cole, and maybe even Terrell Pryor. So I think all those guys are going to need – I think it's good to have Marquise Lee around this year to kind of be the leader in the room. But with Westbrook going into his fourth year in 2020, Chark will be going into his third year. Chris Conley will be in his second year with the team. I just think it would be the right time to make that move. 
Yeah, and I remember actually doing this exercise, you know, making guys lose their jobs um, before the uh, after the season concluded, you know, when we cut to Sean Gibson and Malik Jackson, I was kind of going through this exercise. And, you know, I said, I wonder what we're going to what would happen if we cut Marquise Lee. We were in a situation this year where if we cut Marquise Lee, we were actually going to lose money off the cap, which was right. kind of interesting. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely hangs around this year for that reason. Uh, I mean, he he had a devastating knee injury and they I haven't really heard much talk about it. I mean, it just kind of happened. I haven't I, I never really got any plain details about because I don't think it was just a clean ACL tear. I think there was some other weird stuff going on with it. And um, I think it was like, I, I don't know. The only thing they've officially said is that it was a really bad knee injury. A devastating knee injury, I believe, was the terminology, but I think it was an ACL and MCL, so they had to do like a complete knee reconstruction. Yeah, because you look at it, he he had the injury the second week of the preseason, and yesterday, from the time we're filming, which was July 8th, a month from July 8th is the actual first preseason game, so... Right now, he's on about eleven months, and he he's still projected to, uh, you know, potentially miss a few preseason games. So I mean, usually these ACLs they come back a little quicker than that, um, you know, especially for these guys. We'll see with Cam Robinson what his status is. Of course, he's a bigger guy, so um, he puts a little more pressure when he you know actually goes out there and blocks. But um, I'll be it'll be interesting to see when he comes back, and hopefully he can come back sooner. Um, luckily, I guess if you're going to put any bright side to it, it happened in a preseason. So as opposed to week 17 of the regular season, like we had, uh, Sinderic Marks have that one year and he never came back, um, the same way, but yeah, I'll be, it'll be interesting to see that. So I'm gonna go into my next player. Uh, one of my guys that I think is an extremely obvious cut and that is defensive tackle Marcel Darius. Of course, we acquired Marcel Darius in, uh, 2017. Uh, it was a, trade during the season actually right at the trade deadline um, we gave up a fifth round pick for him uh, which was more of just a salary dump on uh, the Buffalo Bills side of things and man like he came over here uh, motivated I mean that's one reason why they didn't really want him over in Buffalo they didn't seem like you know he was the same player when they drafted him when they got on the new contract but you know he came over and really just found a new step in his career and he he's been tremendous for us, especially in the in the run game. And uh, the Jaguars did uh, restructure his contract this off season to give us a little more cap relief. But in twenty twenty, um, if they they would save twenty million dollars off the cap if they were to cut him, and that's a crazy number. Um, and I think that um, as good as Marcel Darius is, of course, we're going to hope that uh, Taven Bryan can transition into that role and then uh, maybe keep around Avery Jones for a little bit. Um, of course, we got that uh, defensive tackle out of Auburn um, in the draft this season. So yeah, Dontavious uh, Russell, Dontavious Russell. Thank you. <laughs> Great, uh, so I think, I think Marcel Darius is an obvious cut in 2020. Yeah. I mean, with that cap number, they basically agreed that they're going to part ways after this season. Hopefully he can have one of his best seasons yet and uh, kind of regain some of that, that uh, sack that, uh, you know, the, the way he was able to generate pressure young when he was a little bit younger uh, earlier on in his career this year, Doug Marone certainly seems to think that he'll be able to do that. And I agree with you, you know, Avery Jones and Taven Bryan, I think is who I would project as the starters inside in 2020 for the Jaguars there. And we'll see with Smoot. I know they were talking about Smoot potentially transitioning to the interior because he hasn't really um, found himself a very good role in the Jaguars defense. But I mean, he could be a potential candidate to um, potentially play a little bit of three technique. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think, you know, the more versatility that Dwayne, Dewan Smoot can show, you know, the better odds he has of sticking around beyond 2019. And even in 2019, I don't think his roster spot's guaranteed at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, he'll definitely be rooting for him. I mean, he's a friend of the, you know, friend of Jin Jag. So, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully he can find his footing and stick around. Now, I will go on to my second guy. Now, this is a player who... He won't be saving the Jaguars a ton of cap room, just over $2.4 million. 
Uh, but I believe getting rid of him will pave the way for a more talented player to step into the starting lineup. And quite frankly, every dollar will count as the Jaguars move forward in terms of trying to sign, again, Miles Jack, Jalen Ramsey, Unique Ngakwe. And this player is AJ Can. He's a guy that a lot of people didn't want the Jaguars to bring back this year. But I completely understand them bringing him back considering they didn't know what they had in Will Richardson. They didn't know what they would be able to get in the draft. But uh, to this point in the offseason, Will Richardson has really impressed moving around and playing guard some. And I believe that that will continue throughout training camp and the Jaguars will be ready to part ways with A.J. Can following the 2019 season. And I think he's going to have a decent season. I just think that Will Richardson will provide a lot more upside there. Yeah, and it's really interesting with AJ Kansas with the contract this offseason because you look at it and one of the most undervalued uh, positions really is a running back position. And probably what the second, third best running back this free agency was Tevin Coleman. Um, he got a two year, $10 million year deal from the 49ers. You know, AJ Can got a three year, $15 million deal. So they're making about you know the same annually so it's just it's just so interesting how you know a below average guard we would probably call him an aj can uh gets about the same money as one of the better running backs in the free agency class so um i mean it's it was kind of a puzzling signing to me i guess one good thing about him is that he does stay healthy he was one of the few people who did stay healthy all throughout the uh 2018 disastrous season where People yeah. were now, dropping like flies. Through. He did battle through an injury there, but he didn't miss any time. Yeah, and, I, and you got to respect him for that. But another thing about it is, you know, I would understand it if, say, Nate Hacker were still the offense coordinator and we were bringing him back and, you know, he knows the system. I mean, we got a whole new we got a whole new offensive system in here. So uh, it was it was interesting to me. But at the same time, like, I don't, you know, who else are you going to get? You know, if you're going to spend that kind of money, you're going to get the kind of player that, you know, is valued at that so uh, we'll see what aj Kant can do i'll be interested in seeing what will rich singing suit can do because we haven't seen anything from him in 2018 he'll be going into his second year so i hope he can at least compete for that spot and not be you know just a swing tackle his whole career so um it, uh, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting situation no doubt so who you got next on your list so next on my list, this might be a little bit of an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to go with AJ Boye. Um, AJ Boye, you're going to save nine He's million. On my list too. <laughs> you're going to save nine million dollars by getting rid of him, man. Um, you got to see it as a situation like this, man. You, you can't have two really high-priced free agents on your team. Uh, you know, if two. I shouldn't say that. You shouldn't have two high-priced uh, cornerbacks on your team, and that's what um, AJ Boye would do. You know, if they keep him, and then Jalen Ramsey is either on his fifth-year, um, fifth-year deal, or he's on a brand new deal, making a lot of money. So, uh, I think AJ Boye could be a player that they potentially cut. I mean, nine million dollars is a lot of money um, to save when you're trying to re-sign guys like Yannick Ngakwe. Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. I mean, I would put those three players at a higher priority than um, keeping AJ Boye. I love AJ Boye. He is my Boye, a UCF guy. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna have him getting the axe in 2020. Yeah, and the team would actually save 11.5 in 2020 with uh, with parting ways with him. So again, that just furthers your point. Uh, I think that. You know, if they're able to work out maybe some sort of uh, renegotiated contract with Boye, that would be great. But I honestly think Boye is going to really ball out this year, and I think he's going to help the Jaguars get back to the playoffs. Whoops. Uh, went ahead <laughs> and gave that away. But anyways, yeah, I do think that Boye is going to have a great season. I think he's been rejuvenated. He was a little bit down last year, uh, not quite as – uh, locked in as he was in 2017 and I think he's going to have a similar season that he did in 2017 and really just uh, make it real difficult for for opposing quarterbacks and wide receivers to have any success you know playing opposite Jalen Ramsey and having um, DJ Hayden in the middle in terms of playing the slot corner 
Yeah, and I really don't even think he had all that down of a year down of a year in twenty uh twenty eighteen. It just wasn't as flashy, you know. The he was still guarding players pretty well. He just didn't have the interception numbers and uh and, and deflections and stuff like that. But I mean that a lot of that just comes with the offense. You know, the offense was just so bad. It wasn't setting other teams up in passing situations, you know, where teams are having to throw the ball third, fourth corner to try to get ahead and then, you know, throwing it right into the hands of our defensive backs. I mean all our defensive backs just went absolutely crazy in 2017, but in 2018, all their numbers dropped off. And um, you know, I think I think a lot of AJ Boy, a lot of his uh, a lot a lot of his struggles, I guess I should say, in 2018, really a lot of that um, I would attribute it to just teams not being in these passing situations like they were in 2017. I somewhat agree. I do believe there was several games in which Boye just did not have it for portions of the game, specifically remembering the Dallas debacle where the Jaguars just got destroyed. Um, In the first half, Dak Prescott and Michael Gallup were just attacking A.J. Boye, and it was not pretty. And, yeah, and I, I think I think his run support wasn't all wasn't also very good in twenty um, twenty eighteen. I mean, he was a part of the infamous Derrick Henry run, and um, they, they was definitely getting picked on a lot in that category as well. Yeah, but I think he'll have a big rebound season, and I think that's the reason that he won't be willing to renegotiate his contract, and the Jaguars will end up moving on from him. Another reason I think they might do so is because. They really like Quentin Meeks, and I think he's um, he's a good candidate to have a nice season as the third outside corner. And I also have been studying some of the cornerbacks that are set to be likely coming out in the draft next year. Oh, it's going to be a loaded class. Loaded class, huh? Yeah, no doubt about Let's it. Let's see if Obviously, we can get a big, cornerback for our team. What'd you say? Let's see if we can get a big, long-armed, fast cornerback for our team. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of them out there this year, no doubt about it. Of course, they have to go out and impress this season and continue to play well, but um, there's several several candidates that could be solid first-round picks at cornerback. Yeah, and hopefully when we're drafting at 32, we'll have a good one available for us. Yeah. So did you have one more player on your list? Yeah, my... um. You know, I was kind of going back and forth on this. Of course, you mentioned Marquise Lee earlier, so um, I think that he's most likely a pair, player gone. But um, a player that I'm going to go with, I'm going to go ahead and go with Andrew Norwell. Um, you know, he's if if the Jaguars do cut him, they're saving. Um, they would be saving a good amount of money. I think uh, if I'm, I don't know if you have the money or if you have it available to you, but. Um, they're saving a good amount of money from cutting Andrew Norwell, and um, a lot of that was basically they gave him like a two-year deal, and I think they have a two-year out on his contract. But um, right. Andrew Norwell, yeah, they would save. Um, let's see here. They would save five point five next year, um, so it wouldn't really be a huge cap savings. I mean, five point five is five point five. That's helpful, um, but yeah. Well, let's just say this. If he has the year that he had in uh, 2018 where he struggled a little bit and then he gets injured, you know, I think if he repits that year, he's going to more than likely be gone. I mean, um, you know, when you sign into this big monstrous deal, I mean, he's still every year you have these new players get signed to contracts and all of a sudden they're the highest paid player at that position. I mean, even through the 2019 free agency, Andrew Noel still remained the highest paid guard in the NFL. And, um, he just had some. I mean, he, he, uh, the Carolina Panthers, the his All Pro season, he didn't allow like a single sack or really any pressures on Cam Newton. And then you had a couple of plays in 2018 where he just looked dumb. So I, I don't know. Like it's, I think that we'll see what we can get out of Andrew Norwell. Of course, he's seems like a hard worker. He seems like a blue collar guy, but I mean, I just wasn't very impressive in 2018. You know, I I think that his struggles as a as a pass protector were a little bit overblown and again probably because there was a couple plays where you were just like what the hell just happened to that guy. But I he only allowed two sacks in the 11 games he played and he didn't allow too many more quarterback hits and pressures. He really did kind of struggle in the run blocking department which Pretty much the entire Jaguars offensive line did last year. But 
I do think that if if Norwell struggles again or doesn't live up to the you know contract that he was given by the Jaguars, that he could be a candidate to be released, like you said. And quite frankly, I'd be surprised if he doesn't have a much better season this year as long as he can stay healthy. Because he's what you saw in Carolina, I mean, that was a man possessed. He didn't allow a single quarterback hit all year in 2017. Yeah, he was. I mean, and another thing about him in 2018 was I think there was just all the expectations. I know my expectations were like, all right, you're going to keep the quarterback clean. You're never going to let him get hit. And then when he actually does get hit or sacked, because I remember it happened against the Giants. You know, he uh, blew an assignment and, you know, really gets the quarter yeah. and gets the quarterback sacked. So, you know, when something like that happens, it's like, okay, you automatically just did not live up to this contract. But, um, I mean, he, he seems like a guy who's a hard worker. So, I mean, I'm hoping he can um, come back stronger. But, I mean, really, when you're going through, you know, cutting these players, it's really not – it's not like the 2019 year where there's all these guys with really big numbers. I mean, uh, really, the numbers aren't all that high. But the thing that we're struggling with this year is that we're going to have to try to re-sign um, the magical 2016 draft class that we had with trying to – seeing if we can – uh, if there's some way we can somehow keep Miles Jack, Jalen Ramsey, and Yannick Ngakwe, potentially the best top three draft picks we've ever had in franchise history, man, if we could find a way to you know finesse finesse a way to keep all those guys, I mean, that'd be outstanding. Yeah, and I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the hot seats. I do believe that the way in which the Yannick Ngakwe contract plays out or hold out, however you want to phrase it, that's going on right now uh, will it will matter when it comes to deciding whether or not to keep Dave Caldwell next year. I think they really need to, to land unique Ngakwe, you know, before the end of July. Yeah. It's um, I, I hope we, I hope we resign. It'd be interesting to see like if um, they're not able to get a new deal by the time training camp starts, if he actually does report, because I know you, you mentioned in the last show, um about there's a situation where it doesn't look like he would be holding out just because it wouldn't be smart on his part um but uh, let's let's get a deal done because i know it, it hurt me so much to see al Robinson leave and go into a bears uniform and that wasn't even going to a team that really didn't it wasn't like he went to a team like i didn't like like could you imagine yannick and gakwe moving on to dare i say like the titans or something like that oh my god my heart would ache yeah, you know, I'm sure uh, the the Colts would be happy to bring Anikin Gakwe up to Indianapolis for whatever price he wants. Oh yeah, I mean they're going to have the most money, so he could very well uh, they'll they'll get their choice of um of guys and man, that'd be how uh, the, guy always, the guy who always fears is Jalen Ramsey. How cryptic he is on social media about you know like the jaguars and titans having this little feud and then he doesn't defend the jaguars he goes out and says hey titans here's a picture of me with y'all's defensive backs then you know the other day he there's a picture with like earl thomas and um derwin james he's talking about oh uh can't wait till we team up together one day and i don't know just i remember also in last season when he said y'all are gonna miss me when i'm gone or something like that like I, I can never tell with Jalen Ramsey. Like, does he want to stay at Jacksonville Jaguars or does he just like trolling people? I think that he is a guy that speaks his mind. And if somebody is coming at him, he's going to come back at them. And sometimes he might not always really think it through. But uh, I think if the Jaguars come correct with the money, that he will be just fine staying in Jacksonville. It was funny when he did the Instagram live with Fournette, how he said, oh, I would have given them a discount. They signed me this year. I'm like, no, you no, you wouldn't yeah. have. You would not have taken a 25% discount. Again, that was him just talking. He just he, talks sometimes. Yeah, like, you know, it, you know, you read something like that. It's like, okay, bro. But I, I one thing I do need, I need more, in, more Instagram lives with Fournette and Jalen Ramsey because it's absolute comedy. Yeah, no doubt. They're, they're clowns when they're together, especially Fournette. That man never knows when to shut up either. Yeah, uh, he's, he, he gets himself into some weird situations where he has to delete delete some tweets and stuff. But he is comedy gold for sure. I remember, I remember Marquise Lee said on NFL Network how Fournette clowns with everybody. Then I even asked Didi Westbrook about it when after I did my interview with him, and he said that Fournette's just giving everybody a hard time. So 
you know, he's definitely he's definitely a likable guy. But um, please, just please just stay healthy, bro. That's I don't care how funny you are to stay healthy, my man. No doubt. Now, uh, let's move into our final segment of the show here today. We're going to talk defensive MVP for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who is going to be the Jaguars defensive MVP in 2019? In 2019, the guy who I project to be the defensive MVP is going to be Miles Jack. I, I, when I look at Miles Jack, you look at his journey throughout the Jaguars. This is the first season where he's going to go back-to-back seasons playing the same exact position. I mean, you saw him his rookie season. He started off playing backup Will, you know, weak side linebacker. Then uh, once the, the preseason started to end, and then the regular season oh, started. He actually played some Sam linebacker his rookie year. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like his rookie year, you know, after he playing backup Will, he actually transitioned over to strong side linebacker. Uh, more just to get him on the field is because they had Paul Puzlesny. They had uh, Telman Smith, obviously, but they, they needed to find a way to get him on the field. So they moved him to the Sam linebacker spot. And then he was off the field on uh, nickel situations. Then his sophomore season came his second year. Then he kept playing the Sam linebacker on base downs, but then moved actually started, uh, you know, playing playing more like middle linebacker uh, in the nickel situations. And Paul Pazuzzi was actually leaving the field. And then now his, you know, in this third season, he played full middle linebacker, you know, base downs and in the nickel down. And then this year he's going to be doing the same exact thing. So uh, his head won't be swimming as much. He'll be uh, right there fitting in the same exact position. And uh, I mean, you just hear the way, you know, Doug Marone talks about him. You can tell Doug Marone has a lot of respect for him. You can tell he's just a focused guy. I mean, he was a guy that fell to us in the second round because of an apparent injury concern, but he's literally played every single game and, you know, he's been nothing but healthy every for defensive us. snap last year. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's been absolutely incredible and he's been really more than we could have really expected him. And I think, you know, when you see teams like the, you know, Jets drafting Darren Lee, I think there's some teams that kind of regretted passing on him when they were going after these other linebackers, but uh, miles Jack, I got him as my defensive MVP. You know, I like it because, A, you don't really think of a middle linebacker as a defensive MVP, usually just because they don't get, you know, the sack numbers or the interception numbers or the forced fumbles. But Miles Jack is a guy that can put up some numbers. Obviously, he can get a lot of tackles, rack those up. But he's a guy that can get his hands on the football in a number of ways. We've seen it uh, a lot of different uh, times throughout Miles Jack's career that he's just able to find the football and get it. And it'll be interesting to see, like you said, if he's able to really transition into becoming a leader of the defense and somebody who really, really is honed in on his position in his second year, full year at middle linebacker. So I like that pick. He's got all the talent in the world. He's a hardworking guy and he's just fun. And, you know, Miles Jack wasn't down. So yeah, uh, yeah. My defensive MVP is going to be Yannick Ngakwe. Now, if he doesn't get paid, I really, really, really think he's going to be the defensive MVP because yeah. he is just going to be like, "Give me that money." Every sack he gets, he's going to be thinking about the money, and uh, you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I, He's a self-motivated guy, regardless of whether money's on the table or not, which is why I do think the Jaguars are going to get him signed before the season starts. And I still think he's going to be the defensive MVP just because this is a guy that he is so quick off the line of scrimmage and so fast around the edge. And I think he's just going to feast this year. I think he's going to put it all together. He's going to finally... Uh, push for, you know, close to 15 sacks. I think his biggest sack total so far is about 12 and a half. I think he'll get closer to 15, and I think he'll be able to get back into his strip sacking ways that he was just absolutely dominant with the strip sack in his first two seasons. Wasn't really able to get that on track in, in year number three, but I think he'll be able to get back on track with the strip sacks. And he's a guy that already has some some um, national media attention. So there's people already know who he is. And I just think that 
it's not it's not like the defensive MVP for the Jaguars is voted on by national media, but he's just a guy that's going to get a lot more attention this year, and I think he's going to live up to the hype. Yeah, I I like that pick. I mean, I, it was tempting for me to go that way, but I kind of want to go a little bit outside the you know outside the realm and go with somebody who may not put up the numbers, but um, is going to have the impact. But yeah, I mean Yannick Ngakwe, uh, you can't say enough about this guy. I mean he's he's a uh, I, the way the way he carries himself. I mean he's just so focused and he's so just into his craft and just wanting to be the best player he can be. Um, you know he's kind of a no BS kind of guy. I mean. He's just all his like what eighty percent of his Twitter feed is just you know random motivational posts that I wonder like where he gets them from. It makes me feel like he sleeps in a cave with lions or something. <laughs> but but I mean yeah he's he's a fantastic player and uh, just we got to find a way to give this guy a bag. Yeah, and also just what he does for the rest of the defense. I mean, if you're going to talk about a guy who didn't get the numbers last year that he wanted, but the pressures he was able to get, that allowed Calais Campbell to get more sacks, and that will allow the defensive backs to really uh, hone in on on covering their man. And, you know, hopefully Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye getting back into some bigger interception totals and maybe even D.J. Hayden too. I mean, our third down package, I mean, Yannick Ngakwe one side, and then we have Josh Allen on the other side with Clay's camel sliding inside. Oh my! I I I think that's one of my most exciting things to see uh, this upcoming season because you know I would expect and hope that Josh Allen is a hell of a lot better than Dante Fowler was. Yeah, I mean I don't know if Josh Allen will be better than Dante Fowler. You know, year three Dante Fowler versus year one Josh Allen. I don't know if Allen's going to be better because I mean year three Fowler was able to to do some things for the Jaguars, no doubt. But yeah, I think overall Josh Allen is just—he's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be a really interesting storyline. And like you said, on those third downs, those clear passing situations, those boys are going to be ready to eat. Yeah, and I mean we can talk about Josh Allen forever. I think probably next uh, next show we'll have to talk about maybe dive into the rookies a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that I have, I have my own feelings about Josh Allen and what he can do and what what's going to happen this rookie season. So um, I'm. Just just fire just fired up, man. And we're in July. We're July 9th. We're, you know, just a few weeks away from training camp and we're less than a month away from the first preseason game. So I mean it's it's gonna be a fun preseason, especially with, you know, a new quarterback. And then you also have the backup quarterback. I mean, Minshew's gonna be fun to watch as opposed to last year where it was like, you know, Blake Bortles, Cody Kessler, Tanner Lee. I just think it's gonna be a lot more fun of a preseason for us. And I'm just I mean, I'm fired up. Speaking of Gardner Minshew, uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, it's definitely a fun follow. Today he posted about uh, hauling in a massive grouper. It was about the size of him. Uh, so he can go check that out. He's always funny. Minshew and his mustache for sure. Uh, but have yeah, you seen, have, you seen any, have you seen any Minshew jerseys around Jacksonville? I'm an Orlando guy, so I'm not really around I the area. Actually, yeah. I'm sure we'll see him once the season starts, though. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for the show. We're almost an hour in. Had a great time chatting with you today, Dalton. And uh, we'll come back for another episode next week where, like Dalton said, I guess we can uh, go ahead and take a look at this rookie class and kind of break down what we think these guys can do in year one and beyond. So yeah, like I said, that's going to do it for the show. Thanks to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. You can find them online at boldcitybrewery.com. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. And of course, go visit their tap room in Riverside on Roselle and downtown on East Bay Street. The East Bay Street location is pretty much weekly coming out with new concoctions and new beers that are a lot of fun to try. And uh, I get to try them here on the show a lot, too. And uh, looking forward to getting back down there and getting some new brews. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Again, you can uh, follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Subscribe to us. Uh, subscribe to UCF Jaguar on YouTube, on Facebook, or yeah, excuse me, on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow him at UCF underscore Jaguar. You can follow myself at Jordan DeLugo on Twitter. And of course, follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at Generation Jaguar and on Twitter at Generation Jag. Thanks for tuning in and happy hump day, Duval. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.